Well, I just don't. I think that the intros are silly because if you think about it in terms of a golf course, right? You, you know, if you do an intro, you're you're smacking down the clubhouse somewhere, and that's the last <laughs> thing you want to do, right? You want to be able to have like a freewheeling start. Like you don't know what the most interesting part of the convert when the, like the guests going to get comfortable. And so I don't believe in the intro because it'd be like giving an architect, like if you give the architect free hand, free reign on the, on the land, you can chop it up. You can move it around, move stuff around. I never really do that because I don't put time into editing. Um, but you can do, you can maneuver better without the intro because you don't have to start with that pleasantry of like, hello, how are you? Yeah. And then the awkward, I'm good. You know, like it, 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 it allows the first question to be something, something that like the conversation can start really quick. Cause if you think about a golf course, a great golf course is get your attention quick. Right. I think that's the best intro we've had on this podcast. To be fair. It's not going to stop me anyway. Hello. And welcome back to the in. It wasn't. It wasn't a convincing argument. <laughs> uh, Andy, welcome, guys. I'm a big fan. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm, you know, excited to pick your brain for when I make my trip over there. Yeah. So we were talking about this in the pre-roll, weren't we? So the one fiftieth this year, you're making the pilgrimage. About about time. COVID kind of ruined a, a few plans uh, the last couple of years. So. I'm really excited to get over. You haven't struck a ball yet off pure fescue links turf, have you? Is that that's never happened? No, no. Oh. I, 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 people think this is absurd. I, I played <laughs> one round of international golf, and it happened. It happened a few weeks before I started the Friday. I was on a trip to Argentina uh, with my wife to visit her one of her best friends. Uh, who lived down there and her best friend, it was an Argent or her, the guy she was dating was an Argentinian. Um, and he was like, Andy, you like golf? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm a member of the jockey club. No Do you want to play? I didn't bring my clubs or anything. So I went to the jockey club. We were out at the in, uh, Buenos Aires clubs till like four in the morning. And I went and played at the jockey club with a vicious hangover in rental clubs. And that was the only international <laughs> round of golf that I've played. That's insane. I honestly can't believe that for someone who has the, the platform that you do on golf and particularly golf architecture. Um, you kind so of I'm a fraud, into, you know, it's basically yeah, what it's I'm one of the better term, A well-read fraud there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got to fake it till you make it, haven't you, Tom? <laughs> um, Andy, I mean, you, you touched on it, it there. I mean, I'm, I've kind of enjoyed some of your content for a few years. Um, your, your road in golf, it doesn't start with a fried egg. You played a lot of golf as a kid, right? And growing up and you played some quite good amateur stuff. Just give us a bit of a background on your sort of route into the game. Uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, a town called Lake Bluff. It's a, uh, it's a small little town, but it's right next to Lake Forest, which is where CB McDonald actually, um, his first golf was played in Lake Forest in America. It was, you know, you hear the story about him laying out a course with a friend 
before he built Chicago golf, it was in Lake forest, which, which is, uh, interesting, but I grew up, uh, working at country clubs and playing golf at a, a muni in town called Lake bluff golf club, which is where I would ride my bike with a buddy every day. Um, he actually owns a golf bag company now, Chaplin golf bags, um, okay. which is named after Harry Colt. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny that we're both in the golf business now. But um, but yeah, I grew up working at country clubs, so I was at a golf course uh, all day, dust to dawn. And you know, uh, Knollwood Club was where I worked mostly in my childhood, and they gave me some some playing privileges for teaching junior golf. So then that assured that I was at the golf course like every single day, uh, whether I was working or or practicing and playing. And uh, and then uh, yeah, I played high school golf, didn't play college golf. Uh, and, uh, and then I started playing amateur golf after, after college and then got working and you know how you, you kind of lose touch a little bit when you're in your early twenties. I feel like a lot of people do because you don't have a lot of money. You're, you're at a job that you work really hard at. Uh, but I kept playing, trying to play as much as I could on weekends. And, and then I got into the mid amp circuit in my later twenties and played some good golf. And I was at working then at tech startups and I got the entrepreneurial itch. And one day I, uh, I started writing about golf and, wow. uh, and I, I had, to, I wanted to start my own company and, uh, it turned out to be golf, uh, golf media that did it, even though I was a abysmal writer and my, my wife, who was a journalism major, uh, she cried, the first time she had to edit one of my, my <laughs> one of my pieces, so that's how bad it was. Insane. I want to I want to drill into the fried egg a little bit before we get store started on your eclectic eighteen. But um, you touched on it there, the mid am circuit. That's a huge thing, isn't it? In the states, we don't really have so much of that in the UK. It isn't. It isn't. You know, it's just a bunch of guys that work and 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 play a lot of golf. You know, yeah. I think. Um, I, the, the mid-amp circuit is fun. It's it's a great collection and great com camaraderie. Um, it's really fun. I think that's one of the things that's super neat about golf, and especially the USGA having the mid-amp, the US mid-amp is an, yeah. an amazing thing because it's not like I could go play like the na national baseball a national baseball championship as like a over the hill 30 year old, right? <laughs> a guy that never, never was good enough to play professional golf can play in that. But the U S mid am is like a legit thing that people can play in. And then there's a bunch of other great mid am tournaments. And then obviously I think one of the most fun things to do is, um, is if you're, if you can play, play state ams because you end up with stories like Nick Hardy, being 28 shots better than you in a state am and now he's on the pga tour and you're like yeah and yeah figures <laughs> it's a sign that he's he's really good he's quite you know? good at golf yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh and you know so so i think that's the that's fun uh obviously since i started this the the time uh that goes into your own business kind of sucks away the time that you could you could pursue your own golf um career unless you know especially if you want to have a good life at home with kids and, and family, you know, yeah. it's not all day striping seven irons, is it? <laughs> no, no, I, that, I don't have the game I used to, but if, if I, if I focus, one of my biggest issues is a lack of focus. You know, I'm kind of out there to do other things than, than play a really good round of golf. If that makes sense. Well, Tom's the video man. So Tom's off. Tom's our sort of chief editor. So, I mean, 
you're probably the biggest victim of this out of the three of us, aren't you, Tom? You know, I just got to stand behind the camera and let, let these boys stripe irons. And then every time it's, you know, we went to a tailor-made fitting, uh, three of us. So me, Sam and Bruce, and I, we were going to make this big film about it all. And we said, what we'll do is we'll, we'll film this and we'll film, we'll film you boys getting fit. And we'll talk about the process. And I filmed Sam and Bruce and he got to my go. They both just left and practiced putting. The camera fell on the floor and it was just, it was absolutely atrocious. They just leave me to it. So now I got to stand behind the camera and just watch these hit, these hit seven irons. But um, with regard to the mid-arm scene, Andy, like the amateur series here in, in, in Britain, um, they tend to play better, more historic and architecturally diverse courses than compared to, say, the professional game when they come, which is kind of geared up for tournament golf. Do you find that in America, that the, the courses they play on the mid-arm circuit is just a bit more interesting than what you see in the pro game? Yeah, I mean, obviously, two of the most famous mid-arm events are that I, I, I want to be clear. I haven't played in these. The Crump Cup and uh, the Coleman yeah. Cup are at, at Pine Valley and, and Seminole. I think there's something about, you know, professional golf is a, is a huge production. And a lot of membership clubs in America don't necessarily want that huge production yeah. coming. Yeah, it's a circus, right? You have to give up your golf course for a week, a couple weeks. Um, you have to, a lot of times make changes for the tour to host an event. You know, they'll come in and, and meddle with your golf course, which mm. I think is just preposterous. Um, <laughs> and versus like, you can hire, you can hold an event with 50 guys that work for a living that are, are the best players in their area of working guys some of them work, some don't work, you know, it's important, yeah. important distinction, but, um, that are like extremely appreciative of, of the opportunity to come play at a really cool place. Yeah. So I think that's the the thing. I think the amateur events are a little bit easier in some States. It's important to note. Some States are way better than other States. Illinois is really bad at, at getting the big, the, the great courses in chicago to host their state tournaments um but then you go look at philly who has like the philly am the philly mid am they're they're at marion at huntington valley at lancaster like at these great iconic golf courses um and then like wisconsin's really great at it i think their 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 state am has been at uh milwaukee country club lawsonia it's at Aaron Hills, I think this year, yeah. maybe, um, I'm not sure Aaron Hills recently. And, you know, they, they go to these great tournament courses. I, the, the mid at Aaron Hills this year. So it's not this year there, but you know, different States are better at it too. So it, it, I think that's one of the neat things before I started the fried egg, my access point onto great golf courses in Chicago really revolved around me playing good tournament golf to get into, t- to get into events, you know? Yeah, yeah I, for sure. I, I, you you mentioned at the start of that the Crump Cup, <clears throat> and uh, for for our listeners that don't know the Crump Cup, so you'll keep me honest here, and is a uh, it's essentially it's an amateur only event, isn't it? Played at Pine Valley, obviously in honor of you know Crump, the sort of founder designer. Um, it's a mid am event, so it's twenty five and older, twenty five and over. Well, yeah, I got this little story. You won't believe this, Andy. One of my good friends, and I'm not going to give away too many details here, um, but he was he was checking his phone the other day and he checked the junk inbox and he had an invite to the crump cup in there. 
That's tough. Insane or what? <laughs> Luckily, it only landed about two days before. This guy's an absolute ball striker by all accounts. Checked his junk mail, and in there's an invite. Like how? How much? I wonder about that all the time. Like, by that. When was the last time you checked about it? it? I'm not worried about it. I can guarantee well, you, I've not got an invite. For the it's because he's been, he's been checking his checking his junk mail every day. That's why. <laughs> I'm yeah, not saying I'm not, not saying a crump cup invite is in there, but I always wonder what's in my junk mail. I never look at it. What have I missed over the last? I can't remember the last time I even looked at the junk mail. What have I missed in the time that I've ignored my junk mail? Just about Benson's just a, email. Just just about twenty DMs from Cookie Jar Golf. That's all. Yeah, I presume so. I think the, the anyway. With the, before I took us on, um, just tell us a little bit about the Friday. I mean, I'm guessing what you're doing now with the fried egg is maybe radically different to maybe when you set out and what the goal yeah. was. Yeah, I mean, I anybody that started a business probably understands this, uh, but um, you know, as your business grows, one of the hardest things is that your job changes so much, and what my job used to be like, I, I just figure out how to do stuff and start doing it. And and then it became my process and everything. And and now we're growing. And thankfully we've, you know, we've had a lot of support from readers, listeners, and viewers that have watched our stuff, um, come to our events and different things. And, and we've been able to grow with, with people. And, and now my, my job's so much less in the weeds and so much more about, you know, managing what's going on. Um, but still producing a lot of content on my own, but not doing the the video editing or the photo editing or the podcast editing. Uh, but yeah, we do. Uh, we write about professional golf and golf course architecture and golf courses uh, in in the U.S. I think you know we've uh, we kind of created a, uh, a a big space there that we've seen a lot of people come into since, and um, you know just kind of like realizing that the game isn't all about the pro game. Uh, we obviously cover it. I'm a huge fan of professional golf, uh, and we we do that, but there is more to it. And in kind of uh, architecture is where we had our calling card to start. Um, so we do a newsletter that's three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can it's free. That's a really great way to stay up to date with with the game and then what we have going on in terms of our other content. We have a website, thefriedegg.com. And then we have a couple podcasts. We have The Fried Egg, which is a mostly an interview-based podcast that talks with um, golf architect from golf architecture to PGA Tour Talk. And then we have The Shotgun Start, which is a three-day-a-week uh, uh, podcast that I host with Brendan Porath uh, and we talk about the inanity of uh, professional golf there, mostly takes, current events. Takes, <laughs> yeah. It's just it's a silly show that has a lot of inside jokes and and stuff. Uh, it, it's a uh, I I can't believe people tune in to listen to some of the things we talk about. But, but you're doing but events do. as well, right? So you'll yeah. start doing your events recently. We've we we run a few events last year, and we've got more coming this year. And you know, I don't know, our experience certainly in the UK is getting people together at those events. That's been like the most fulfilling of sort of like thing we've done within Cookie Jar because it's just like a physical manifestation of everything you're doing. You see people just just buzzing as well, don't you? Which is which is really cool. Yeah, I the first event we did was at Lawsonia in 2018, maybe 2019, 2018. Yeah. I can't remember the years before COVID, but um, the... <laughs> What am I, I? I remember looking around and you realize that like the hundred people that were there, none of them, 
like almost all of them were strangers coming in and you'd see these people and they'd be talking and it'd be like, God, the, the, if you looked at it, you're like, they must be best friends. And you'd realize that they met that morning. And I think that's one of the most neat things about the internet is that it allows these people like, and I think, you know, what, what you guys do, what we do is a perfect example is the internet just allows people to nerd out to the, to the fullest level. You know, it allows yeah. you to dive and get so nitty gritty on your interests. And when you bring all these people together, it's like they've been best friends for years because they have so much that they want to talk about and share and experiences they share. And you see these people like setting up golf games for, for the coming weeks. And, and I agree. It's like one of the most fulfilling things. It's why we we're doing events. We're going to do more and more of them. We try and make them as affordable as possible. Um, and, and because we want people to be able to experience these courses, but also, be able to experience the great golf community that exists, especially within the subcultures of golf, which I think is one of the neatest things about the game of golf is it's, it's got all these subcultures, whether you're a gearhead, whether you're super into the PGA tour uh, or European tour, whether you're into golf courses and architecture, there's all these different little facets of, of golf that have, you know, these, this cult followings. I think, I think it's fair to say that you're, intro into it was was golf course architecture and that's where the the newsletter started that's where the website started what was it that that, that first gave you the bug what, what was it that really caught you caught the imagination when you when you got involved with golf course architecture it, it was always something that i was interested in i i had read golf club atlas is an, an amazing website that does a lot of stuff on golf golf architecture i mean I, it's when it's I was a good in place my, to have a scrap if you want to have an argument with somebody, I find. I mean, they, there are some drawbacks over there, but <laughs> I think like, you know, in terms of the resources, the amount of information that's over there, it's some, especially one of the sad things is what happened to that website because they had so many great historians that, that were contributing early on there, whether it be like your Tommy Nacarados or, or Tom Paul's, I mean, Tommy Nacarado has forgotten more about golf architecture than I ever hope to know. You know, he is a brilliant. I mean, the guy, if you want to know anything about any California golf course, he, he will probably have a, you know, whole gallery of old photos that nobody else has and, and knowledge. I mean, there are, there are so many great minds that were over on that website early on. And, uh, but like I was a kid, I was never a member. I didn't get to become a member until I, the fried egg was somewhat successful. And, um, you know, as a kid, I, I would read that and, and try and find places to play. Um, when I went places that were recommended by them that were public, um, and I would read the message boards and, you know, that's what, what, you know, really popular kids in college did. So that's why I did it. Um, but, uh, I was always super itch. I didn't know if there would be an audience and the fried egg was like it, it at first, like I thought I was going to be a calling writing about competitive golf. Um, and then I decided one day to write something on arc. I guess the first thing was like, I went to Sweetens Cove. My friend had told me to go check yeah. it out. And, um, cause he had seen their Instagram page and that I wrote an article about Sweetens Cove because I was kind of shocked that this really cool golf course had nobody there on a beautiful Saturday. 
And that's the impetus that got me to write about Sweden's Cove. It was a really popular article. And then I wrote a golf architecture specific article on Redan holes. And I published it on the 4th of July, which is the worst day to publish an yeah. article. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, that, that Christmas, Thanksgiving, <laughs> 4th of July are probably the three worst days. Yeah. And, and we had no like into Redan on those days. No. Well, we had like 8x the traffic that day of our best day. And yeah, I was man. like, oh, there's something here. And, you know, and that's when I just started to dive into golf architecture. The podcast, I, I, a lot of people will ask me for advice with, um, with regards to starting like a business in golf. And, and I always say you have to be really unique and you shouldn't ever look at what other people do to do your business. Like you shouldn't copy you know, I think a lot of people look at no laying up success and they copy it. And those guys have have been so successful because they've been themselves. And I think that's the best piece of advice you can give is if you're just uniquely you, nobody could copy that. And that's why those mm-hmm. guys have had a lot of su- success. And I think that's why we've been able to carve out a spot is that we've been ourselves. We aren't trying to copy other people. And I think like, you know, that you see a lot of the major outlets, their Twitter presence has has morphed into trying to be like no laying up and it's exposed them even worse mm. on Twitter because it's just like this isn't what you guys want to say, that you're just try- you're trying to be them. Um yeah, yeah. and I th- and I think that's the thing I would I, I always tell people, but if you're yourself um and you're pretty interesting and you have the a vision, you're gonna you're gonna be successful with time. You gotta be super patient though. It's hard. The we find niche prevails is the saying we have. The more yes. niche you go on a topic, it's like the more it goes crazy. Like <clears throat> I, last year, I wrote this pretty self-indulgent 500-word article about Kimmel, which is a it's a little sort of like sickly sort of sweet spirit you drink after um, lunch at a lot of like really good golf clubs. And this thing was like, I was like, Tom, the website is just not going to handle this. It's blowing up here. And you could see them all coming in from different places. And you're like, this is the nichiest thing ever. But it's for some reason people just really dig it, and I think. Uh, but that, like you say, that's the great thing about the internet. Um, we're here to talk exactly. About your that's like, yeah, d- diving deep is is the recipe. Absolutely. And some for some, if you're if you're a golf nut, right? If well, you're no wants, exactly, if you're really into yeah. it, you don't want the surface level stuff. It's like I know that stuff already. So like, give me something I don't know, and I think that's where um, <clears throat> certainly Cookie Jar gets to step in. Um, one thing I'm, I'm curious about is we obviously talked about the eclectic 18 because I've been thinking for a while, like there's got to be something good where we can collaborate, we can talk. And I was like, well, this is perfect. So we did the eclectic 18 earlier this year and I've tried to sort of road test it as a series of podcasts with guests, because I think I mentioned in my message to you in the UK, we have this thing called desert Island discs. If you're stranded on a desert Island, which records would you take? So it's kind of the same thing. It's like your story through golf. And you were like, yeah, I think your words were, yeah, I'm all in on this. Like, definitely want to do it. You've done something similar, I think, in the past, have you? Or you've looked at favorite golf holes, certainly before. But how did you find this exercise itself in terms of got to be a different golf course? You've got to, the whole number has to correspond. How did you find it? 
Well, it was, it was, I totally copped out. It was way too hard to be completely honest. I, uh, I was not it's ready tough, to isn't give. It? It's a tough I exercise. Well, I wasn't ready to give you my eclectic 18. I, uh, I, I was, I was ready to give you some form of an eclectic 18. And it, it was like, I started, I tried, I set out with the intention to give you the full eclectic 18. And I immediately realized I was like, cause I was racking my brain. I think like the way I tried to do it. And if anybody tries to do this exercise, I, I listed out whole numbers and I just started going through courses whole, like in what holes on a course might merit discussion because what you want, I think what you want to do is you want to take all the holes that you think could are, were are world-class holes and put them on paper. You can't. And I think it's similar to a, a laying out a golf course, having watched a few people go through a routing exercise before you can't get married to one hole. Like I, you can't get married to, I have to have the 16th at Cypress point on my routing it's too hard, because, isn't it? Cause well, you end up losing it somewhere along the lines. Well, cause Cypress point has 10 holes that could be on here and their fifth hole might make your whole course the strongest, right? Having mm-hmm. five in there. And then, so I, I started going through that and I was like, this is going to take me a fucking year to do. <laughs> <laughs> It's and, and no offense, I'm not gonna. I wasn't gonna spend a year of my of my time for your podcast, and I'm sorry. So yes, I, I had to. I had to insult. I yeah. had to filter it down. So I I decided that you know, and part of this is I haven't been over to the UK, so I was like, well, this is I'm, I'm most of your audience is probably from there, and I'm gonna be telling you about courses that nobody's heard of. But I, I ended up going with public golf, so anybody could go play it. It's got to be a public golf course, and it has to be the hole has to be under four hundred yards, because <laughs> I think there should be golf courses that are five thousand yards. Yeah, and that so was Sandy. Am I getting this right? You, you've, you've taken a task that you thought was too difficult, and you've put extra rules to make well, it essentially it narrowed down the number of holes. It narrowed down. The, the selections that I could make. So it narrowed down the number of th- uh, hundreds of golf holes or thousands of golf holes that I had to go through in my head. Because then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's, I was going to do short par fours and long par threes. I was thinking about doing, but then I was like, well, I'll just expand it to par threes too. So short par well, we fours, take- sub 400 yards and par threes. Well, you were really strict on it because we had to take one out. I seem to remember you came back and were like, I can't have, was it, I want to say nine. Was it nine? That was it. Ninth of pack dunes, upper green. You were like, yeah, it's really cool hole, but it's 410 yards. I can't have it. It's got to go. It's got to be under 400. So I had to read, Um, read. Luckily it it was easy because I could, I could move pack dunes to six and I could move gray walls to five and, and, and wild horse to nine. And it, it, I didn't have to do a wholesale change. I could just, I re reworked the three holes affected and it, no, they I all think, worked with the same course. I think it's great because when we've done, I mean, yeah, we do have a lot of people that listen to this podcast based in UK. Um, but we have a ton of people that listen to this in the States as well. And whenever we talk about golf courses in America, we end up on, and look, I'm not going to give you a free pass on this because Sweetens Cove is in there. You think you've got three Bandon picks. So this is down to a 14-hole exercise. But it's hard to get people to say, 
anything but band and Pine, Pinehurst is also in yours, actually. Uh, Pinehurst and Sweetens Cove, they always talk about those sort of like holy trinity of golf places. So it's cool that you've got these like public courses. Some of them are a bit niche. Some of them will be better known. Um, you know, obviously I, the big, the, yeah. I mean, Bandit is hard to ignore because you're talking about like, I think they have four probably of the hundred best courses in, in the country. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a big ranking guy, but there are like, there's four, there's nowhere that has four, five, really, you could say, you could say five courses, you know, but the, the, I think, I believe there's four really premier golf courses there that are as good or better than, you know, almost like, you know, Pinehurst number two, can rival them, but no other course at Pinehurst can rival those four. And if you throw Pinehurst mid pines together, you know, that's a really good combo. Um, but you're still way short of Bandon and same thing. Like sand Valley is a really cool place, but I don't think those golf courses are up to the level of Bandon stream song is as good as you can get in the Southeast, but they're still like the best abandoned or better. I think some of the stream song can contend with like the old Mac, the sheep ranch level course, but yeah, I mean, band is hard to avoid um, because yeah, of that. And then you start to see like some courses have like an embarrassment of riches of sub 400 yard holes, like band or uh, Pacific dunes, Tom Doak's course there. You could do one, you could do two, you could do five, you could do six, you could do, you can't do uh, you can't do nine because it's four oh four oh seven four oh six four oh three or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but you could do ten. You could do eleven. You could do uh, fourteen. You could do sixteen, seventeen. So you had you know the and this is the key. This is why you can't get locked down. Like I ended up with what I think is the best short part four at Pacific Dunes. But if nine had been sub four hundred, it was going to be in my routing because I thought it it flowed better with Wild Horse five and and so you can't get married to a specific hole. Okay. It's my, my, it's, it's a positive scratcher though, isn't yeah. it? It's I know people seriously... are going to think I'm a lunatic. Oh, this is no, no, no. They already do a <laughs> half an hour. In. It's all good. <laughs> what I mean, they, people, people have, on my team were like, you're still working on that thing. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am. It's, it's a hard exercise. One of the, um, the thing that pops up a lot when we do this is when they're doing, you, you find that, in the eclectic 18, you might have a hole in your eclectic 18 from a golf course, which isn't even your favorite hole on that golf course yes. because of the way that the whole thing fits. It's so bizarre. It's such a difficult thing to put together. And I'm, I'm pleased that you've decided to put in the effort and, and come, come away with I something interesting. I like the fact it's different though as well. So I, I like the fact that it's different. So, you know, everyone goes for the past 72 everyone lists out the trophy courses. So the two things there that I want to talk about before we jump into the holes, one, 5,000 yards long, like, you know, that's amazing. Like distance and just, you know, how that for you strikes enjoyment. But two, I think public golf, uh, you know, talking to somebody who plays mostly golf in America, that whole public versus private thing, massive, you know, talk to me a little bit about the public private thing and how important that is to you. Yeah. I, it's one of the things that I dislike about American golf uh, so much is how closed off the, the best courses in the world are. And I think if you look at other industries, 
yeah, restaurants are open to all. Like there's a price barrier, right? But I could save up and go see, go eat at at the great best restaurant in Chicago, Alinea. It's it's super expensive, but it's attainable. And I think one of the things that's frustrating about American golf is so much of the great golf is really unattainable unless you know uh, the right people um, or happen to get lucky with like a, an outing, a corporate outing or something. So I think one of the things that we've we've done is is really make a point to to find a good, really good, affordable public golf. It's, it's one of the things that we'll always continue to do is, you know, sometimes you got to pass up invites at really great places to go play the $25 muni down the street that you think might, might have some good bones. Um, and this list has some, some courses on here. I mean, Eagle Springs, the first hole is $19 to go play. Um, they might've raised the rate. It might be over 20. It's a nine hole course. Um, you know, the Pacific Grove, I think has a $35 back nine rate. It's got the back nine is absolutely stunning and Pebble beach. If you got to go play early in the morning, uh, diamond Springs, is uh is a forty five dollars? You've got to start reeling these. Pacific where, where? Grove is right next to Pebble Beach. It's a, it's a town next to Pebble Beach. Pacific Grove. Um, it's a municipal golf course. The back nine's incredible. Uh, it's a Chandler Egan Jack Neville golf course. Um, and the back nine's incredible. It's uh, it's right on the ocean in sand dunes. And uh, the front nine not so great. But, but Diamond Springs is a Mike DeVries course who's obviously designed like Cape Wickham and, and, and Kingsley Club yeah. and Gray Walls and Gray Walls some well. other great ones. But Diamond Springs is $45 and it's, you know, within 45 minutes of, uh, of, um, of Grand Rapids. Uh, George Wright, anybody can play for under $100. It's in the city of Boston. I'd recommend playing as early as possible. Slow play can be an issue there. Um, but yeah, it, it's a mix, you know, a lot of the best holes are at or resort courses. That's no doubt, but there are also, you know, Aiken golf clubs, $25 dollar golf course and right outside of Augusta. So that, you know, there are affordable golf and attainable golf here. Is it more difficult to find, uh, to find good public golf? Is, is it, is it hard to source? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, it's, you know, one of the things I think that the retail golfer struggles with, they, they get, you know, the quality of the course is the conditioning of the course. And a lot mm. of times what I find is that the most interesting golf course are the cheapest golf course in the town because they're a little scruffy. Yeah. And, um, you know, the best course is usually kind of like you pay for, for maintenance. And that's one of the reasons that I, I, put together this list of 5,000 yards is I think there should be courses that are par 66s at 5,000 yards because it would be cheaper to play because it's, it's a smaller footprint. The maintenance costs mm. are less. There's less land required. There's a lot of like a lot of issues that golf's going to be confronting with environmental stuff is around sustainability. And this size of golf is much more sustainable at a large scale, you know, uh, than the 7,200 yard championship golf course. But yeah, I, I think public golf is it's it's a hard it's hard to find really good golf in some cities. You know, there are other cities that have an embarrassment of riches. Like Grand Rapids is a small city that has three Mike DeVries golf courses, you know, designed. And they're all of them are under a hundred dollars to play. So that is a you know, example of a city that's got a lot of good public golf. Mm. San Francisco 
you know, they have Pasatiempo whose rates have gone up significantly in the last few years, but you know, it's well worth playing. It's a, it's, it's one of those golf courses that I think is like a great restaurant. Like it's a special occasion golf course, uh, that everybody should go see. That's it's super expensive, but then they have like the Presidio, which is, I, I was blown away by this a couple of weeks ago that for out of towner, it's in the city of San Francisco. So if you're there for a wedding, you can take a $10 Uber to the Presidio and play for 120 bucks, like in the city like that, yeah. that to me, like great golf in cities is, is so rare. And when yeah, you great. find it is so good, but like, like all city courses, you got to go early or else you're going to get a six hour round. Yeah. Golf in Amer- public golf in that. America sucks. This is basically yeah. the translation. Is, you've got to have a hack, you know, you've yeah, have a I'm going to slightly off tangent here, but like in, in the UK, it's kind of like a hybrid approach where most clubs have membership, but then allow people to visit if they want to come with the public golf courses in America. Are they just strictly public or do they have some level of membership to go with it? So a lot of them have like public, uh, memberships where like when I grew up, where I grew up, they had this great junior membership. It was $195 for the entire year for me to play golf. And I, I had some blackout times. Like I couldn't play on Saturday and Sunday mornings or Friday more a Friday after Friday mornings, but I could play all the time for 200 bucks. And then for my parents, I think it was around a thousand then I'm sure it's way more now, but you know, a lot of public courses have those memberships where it bypasses your greens fees. But then, you know, on Saturday and Sundays, a lot of courses have, you know, reserved tea time blocks. So you can't even play before 10 AM unless you have one of those reserved tea time blocks. So a little bit of membership, but for the most part, public courses are public. And then there's a few private clubs that offer, you know, public tea times. And I, I think that number was getting bigger before COVID and now it's smaller after COVID with the popularity, like, you know, m- p- private clubs used to have a ton of capacity, but now they'd have very little because of COVID. The same thing's happened the- here. I mean, it's gone mental in terms of participation because of COVID. It's just gone through the roof. So everything's just got more difficult. I mean, these are good problems for golf, yeah, you know, yeah, like we're sure. seeing yeah. un- unforeseen development since the nineties here. Like there's so many golf courses being built, so many golf courses being renovated. Uh, you know, I think one thing to keep an eye on is there's going to be a lot of like very mediocre architects getting a lot of work and there's going to be, it's going to, you know, end up with a lot of courses that probably need to redo the re- redo their redo down the line. But you know, that's, uh, you know, one of the things is that there's, you know, it's a supply golf supply and demand, right? Uh, the, the story of the last seven years was golf courses closing before yeah. COVID. And now the story is like golf courses getting built again, which is really great for the health of the industry, but it's probably going to go too far and there's going to be a market correction to the mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. And clubs have got more money now as well. I mean, like they've, they've all of a sudden come into more cash. It's like, how are they going to spend it? They might bring in a guy who says we should stick a pond over here or, you know, it would look good with some trees up there. And you're like, oh God, like you say, anything could happen with more people entering the market, more people playing the game. I do, I do wonder whether or not, you know, without the exciting places that, you know, you know about, maybe we see, we see a little bit of over here, the people just play a really like homogenized version of the game and it just ultimately become disenfranchised. More people playing golf, maybe more people switch off golf in time. But, you know, I, I always hope that, you know, these guys that are starting playing the game stick with it. 
Well, that's, I think one of the bummers is something I always say about municipal golf is like municipal golf in America is the entry point for almost everybody. Nobody goes and plays Pine Valley for their first time. Right. Yeah. You know, like it's not, not how it works. Like you go play the, you go hit balls at a range and then you go to like the dumpy municipal down the street. And, and I think it's kind of silly and backwards, but municipal golf has like, you know, a lot of municipalities say, well, we can't have something like that. We need to have something that's a little more bland. Like we can't have the crazy stuff that's at that club. And, and when you think about like, if I was trying to get somebody to, I always use this analogy. So I apologize to the crossover audience. And, but if you're trying to get somebody to drink coffee, I wouldn't take them to a gas station at 9 PM to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> like I, 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 like if I'm trying to convince them that coffee's great, I'm going to take them to the nice coffee shop and get them like a really good cup of coffee. And when you think about the entry point to golf is we give them like the for the most part, the shit, yeah. like we give them the worst <laughs> product that there is and expect them to like the game. It's really silly to me. It's ass backwards, but municipalities think this way is that, you know, we need to have really bland stuff. Like good, we can't have good architecture. We, we need to tone it down. It's like, <laughs> no, you should have crazier stuff than the country club. Because provocative stuff, people feeling emotion is what hooks them to the game. And the game, people like golf. People like golf more than bowling because bowling is attainable. Like, you know, I suck at bowling, but I know if I worked at bowling, I'd get really good. And the thing about golf is that no matter how good you get, you still think you suck. Apart from if you're Sam Williams, because he thinks he's awesome, pretty much yeah, all the time. Well, I think tour players also think they're awesome. But it's just like they have like a mental. Dif- but like no matter what, no matter how good I'm playing, I still am walking around thinking about how much I suck. I, I must admit, I go and hit range balls occasionally, and then I immediately think, "Why the fuck am I doing this?" Because it is crap. Like you're hitting balls that are probably going to break your clubs off a horrible mat it's minging there's no experience to it and you're like if this was my first experience to golf i would probably be not returning after this but i think at the same time that's like a rite of passage isn't it it's like you've got to get through the shit and once you've managed to break through the barrier and see what's the other side then you can kind of explore it's the not effective marketing, that we have. Though, is it? That's not how you no, market. No, it's not to, marketing, but it yeah, is a right path. It's not like I mean, maybe some some airlines do it. You know, if you can really push yourself through the barriers of all the extra charges and stuff to get there. But you know, it's like there's very few industries where that where that model works. I think um, you talked about emotion, provocative stuff there, Andy. Which of those courses that you've listed on your on your eclectic eighteen? What's like? the hole that has like the, maybe the strongest memory or the first you played or, you know, the one that kind of sticks in your mind the longest. Oh man, that's a good question. I, uh, I get, I mean, Eagle Springs. I love that place. This is your first, your first hole. This was Eagle Springs. You played it when you were a kid. Yeah. I played Yeah. I played it when I was a kid. And then I, I remember there being some cool stuff out there. I remember the second hole, was a contender on this list. It's a vol. It's like the most absurd volcano green that you've ever seen. In your- like I've seen it on one of your videos. Yeah, I think yeah, I know the one you're talking it's about. Absolutely it's bonkers. <laughs> but the first hole is nuts too. And this is the thing. And this is what I I had played it as a kid. And one of my buddies said to me, Andy, 
if you go and you spend the at the time it was 16 bucks and you play the first two holes and walk away i guarantee you don't feel like you got ripped off and there's like five really good golf holes at eagle springs and nine so you should go play it you should go 100 go see it if you're anywhere in the area of of uh you know if you're going on a trip to sand valley or lawsonia just make the stop. It's there's, it's not very crowded. Like you can whip around it and it's a really cool place. It was built in 1895. Um, the same family has owned it since its opening. That's literally insane. It's nuts. It's absolutely, it's, and you go into the clubhouse and nothing has changed. It's got this like old Wisconsin charm. I guess it's changed a little. Cause it's like, it's just like, vintage wisconsin when you walk in it's got a bar you know you check in at a bar and then you go to the first tee and you can't see anything it's completely you're you're teeing up from a valley over like a bluff so you can't you don't know which way to go you don't know anything and i thought this was the perfect way to start this quirky golf course that i created was, yeah, you know like you're you're teeing off and you have no clue where it's go and you're going you hit it over the hill and you get up over the hill and you're like oh that's what's going on <laughs> and and it's got this amazing green and it's got this like really cool radical landform that cuts right through the center of the fairway like this mound it's that rolls right into the green it's just absolutely beautiful and the green has a big punch bowl on the right and a plateau on the left and so it's just this wildly cool hole that i thought like there are a lot of great first holes but this one sets the tone for a really quirky different golf course than you've ever seen in your life better than any do you think that having kind of that's a family-owned golf club, golf course, so they've never changed it because they've never seen anything that needed to be changed, probably. But there's a lot of golf clubs that are run by committees and stuff, and they try and throttle everything down, don't they? They try and turn the volume down on stuff. If you look at old aerial pictures of our Lynx golf courses, all the bunkers have been massively reduced and throttled back. Do you see a lot of that in the US? Or oh, do you yeah. think a lot of courses have kind of lost some of their teeth, some of their spark? Because these features are what make it. Like for me, that's when you see really kind of like strong, potent features on a golf course, like there's nothing better. Uh, I was taught, I, when I had the pods with Jeff Ogilvy going, um, we were talking about the Monday finish rule, which is like they had like a, a third cut sometimes when the field was big on Saturdays on the tour. And he was on the player advisory council when, when they did that. And this, uh, this is a wayward way of getting to my point, but, but I was like, how did, he's like, that's the worst rule in golf. I go, well, how did it, how did it happen? He goes, Andy, if you, if you put 12 people in a room long enough, they can talk themselves into anything. <laughs> and I think that's what, what greens committees and, and committees at golf clubs do is that they, they're none of them are golf professionals. They're all like lawyers or accountants or doctors. None of them have any expertise in the subject that they're making these very big, expensive decisions on. And I think there are great architects, but there are also architects that are looking to get a paycheck. And if the club says, Hey, we want to do this $200,000 project to wipe away all the character off a of golf course. There are a lot of guys that are really excited to take that paycheck and go do the work and erase all the, all the cool stuff and put something there. That's a shell of what it should be. And I think that, you know, 
the committee structure, I think like a lot of the best, you know, there are good committees out there. This is not a, you know, all committees suck thing. There are good committees out there, but you know, a lot of the biggest success stories in America, at least of, of turnarounds and, and courses really realizing their full potential come when one person is in charge that has a vision that understands what they're doing. And they work with an architect to do that. You know, mm. a lot of clubs go the wrong way by hiring, you know, a guy that's worked at a lot of clubs around them that hasn't done anything significant when they could hire a young guy that's worked and built some of the best golf courses in the world. And they could hire them for less money than the, than the mediocre guy who's done nothing, you know, of note around them. And, uh, you know, and then they do a bunch of dumb work that, that makes their golf course work worse and costs money and shuts the golf course down for membership. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really tough though, isn't it? Like, cause I feel like when, especially when it comes to committees, this isn't a committee bashing thing, but they feel like they need to do something. They can't just sit there and just maintain the status quo. It just feels like it's something that they have to put their imprint on it. Um, when you were speaking about the, the first hole, your Eagle Springs first hole, and uh, it reminded me of a, of a course that Sam and I played down not so far from us, a place called Painswick. I don't know whether you've ever had this um, feeling, Andy. So you played it, and Painswick has got at least, well, it's got it's got lots of blind holes, but it's got two par threes that are about 120. That you go up about a 20 yard elevation, you can't see anything, and you play it. And I remember walking around and thinking, this golf course is rubbish. Like, how are you supposed to play this? But as I left, and I said days afterwards, I just couldn't stop thinking about this golf course, and I'm just like you know, really wanted to get back to on your, on your 18 there, which is the one that you played that perhaps lingered with you the longest. You thought, yeah, I really, really need to get back there. Um, you know, there's one uh, wild horse would be one, which is in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. It's in Gothenburg. It was built by, this is a perfect example of, of a place hiring guys that work for bill core and Ben Crenshaw. Like they couldn't afford to hire bill and Ben. They hired Dave Axlin and Dan Proctor who have worked and built so many courses for them, but this was one of their first solo jobs. It's in the Nebraska sand Hills and it's absolutely extraordinary. This the really? golf course, it, it, I think the rates now up to like $85 maybe, but you're talking about, I mean, it's one of the 15 best public golf courses in America. It's, it's four hours from the nearest city, which is, which dissuades a lot of people, but mm. you know, you, in terms of the best land in America, uh, the Nebraska sand Hills are among the best places that you could potentially possibly build a golf course in America. Uh, it it's like you see in, they've got the big dramatic dunes, but also those smaller, you know, more human sized dunes that, that you, you see a lot in Scotland, right. Where those micro contours make great golf and, and wild horse is really like kind of a smaller scale, um, sand hills with more eccentric greens. Like the greens are wilder. Um, and the golf course, you know, Joshua Maher, the superintendent there does an amazing job of conditioning it. I, I like, I think about a wild horse a ton, one that's not on this list. I think about a lot is uh is Northwood, the Mackenzie up in the Redwoods. That's, okay, so that's the huge you know, trees, isn't it? That's yeah, it's is it a good golf course or is it just actually is that is that just because of the niche vibe of the Redwood trees? The setting is unbelievable. The golf course could be really good. Um you know, the owner has owner likes to trumpet, you know, that it's a Mackenzie course, but they don't really want to do 
anything to to bring back the features. I mean, the bunkers, the original McKenzie bunkers are are literally sitting there. They're just been grassed over. If you were walking down the fairway, you can see them, and, mm-hmm. and it would be so easy to start putting them back. Uh, they have some flooding issues on the bottom holes that wash out bunkers. So I understand like some of the hesitancy down there, but up on the top holes, it makes no sense to not have those bunkers. And I think they're doing really well. They've gotten a lot of uh, free press from various golf outlets, including mine. One of the big things that um, obviously the architecture community in the States has been huge on the last few years is tree removals like severe, because you've got a lot more maybe well-funded golf clubs, which some of the UK ones are maybe less so. Um, particularly the private ones, but also there's this whole sort of restoration of geometric shapes and all the sort of Seth Rayner stuff. Do you think that's going to look a little outdated maybe in 10 or 15 years time? Or do you think that's, do you think it's kind of like a great move? Cause I'm looking at, I mean, I've not played any of these courses. I see a lot of aerial footage and you're like, wow, these things are sharp, angular things. As I understand it, that was what Seth Rayner kind of put in place as, you know, kind of engineer background and stuff. I don't know. Is that, Yeah, I think it's it's just unique, right? I think uh, it's what we talked about earlier is like every golf course has its own identity and every architect has its own identity, right? So I think like with restoration, it's not, uh, you know, I think one of the things I haven't seen the work in the UK, but I see a lot of similar sandscapes being done everywhere. It's like the same thing that you see at one course, you see at the course down the street and that's not restoration. That's, that's an architect putting what they want to do. That's an architect imposing his will. I think one of the things that's made people like Tom Doak, Bill Corp, Ben Crenshaw, and, and Gil Hans really successful is they go restore places. It's about putting back what the architect originally did. Um, and I think like for that sake, like Rainer having, having, they aren't like square and there's some bad rainer, bad rainer restoration is going square. They have rounded corners. You know, the bunkers okay. are not squares. There's, there's a little round to them, but yeah, that geometric type of feel is Seth Rainer. So if you have a Seth Rainer golf course, you want to bring that back. Cause that's what mm. makes you unique right now. If you're at a Walter Travis golf course, you should have really wild greens. Like he built some of the most eccentric greens and had a lot of above ground features, you know, hump humps and and hummocks and, and stuff that got in the way. So like, that's what they should lean into. It's like every golf course should try and figure out what makes them the most unique they can possibly be because that's, that's not replicable, right? Me having the same sandscapes as a course down the street, that makes me just look like a ripoff if they did it first. What are the holes on here? Do you think? Cause I, I, I kind of echo what you're saying though. We see a lot of the sand scrape stuff and it's, I think that's a perfectly fair analogy for what it's worth. I'm curious, what are the holes on here that we've not talked about stand out to, to you as being one of the most unique? I mean, Lawsonia, for example, is a golf course that I know you're very fond of. When we started on this, I was like, I just wonder which of the one of the 18 holes is going to be Lawsonia. Um, but which of the courses that we've not talked about on here is kind of maybe, maybe worthy of note. Um, Oh man. I mean, we've talked about Pasatia, but so like, uh, we, we could talk about Lasonia's 10th hole here. I mean, a lot of people, this wouldn't be their favorite hole at Lasonia because it's a par three and it's 240 yards and they, they kind of take, uh, that hole's hard and I made a bogey, so I don't really like it. <laughs> but when you look at the hole, it's really like, you know, it's, it's, it's sandwich. 
you play the seventh hole. There's like the famous boxcar par three. And then the eighth hole is a really short par four that I almost put on here. And then the ninth hole is a par five. The 10th hole is a gettable par five. The 11th hole is a gettable par five. The 12th hole is a par three. And the 13th hole is a par five. And the 14th hole is a short par three. So you have like, you have scoring opportunities in here. And this is the one half par hole. That Off trends love them. trends trends the opposite way. So people net yeah. people hate long par threes and they love short par fours. But if you just change the long par threes to fours, people exactly. will love it. Oh, <laughs> so the match is, play, the match play is going on this week, and they keep yeah. putting the par in the top right hand corner of the of the telecast. And it's like, yeah, why? Doesn't matter. Like, it's pointless, and they keep putting them off the backs. Like if it's a long long three, make it longer. But just shove them shorter as well if you want the lo- on the par fours. It's like, yeah. Make them half pars. So this hole, like when you look at the, it's 240. You got to like hit, stand up and hit a great shot. But the green, it takes no breaks at the green. A lot of times you have these long par threes and then you get to the green and it's kind of boring. This green has got these two huge spines that cut a diagonals across it. And it creates like three tiers. The right bunker is deep. It's like 10 feet below the ground. So you're dead in there. And then if you go along, you, it's the green slopes really severely from back to front. So it, mm. it, you're, you're pitching downhill. It's just really hard. It's just an awesome golf hole. If you remove par, if, if there were no pars, I think people would say this is one of my favorite holes. And it's probably a lot of people's least favorite, one of the least favorite holes out there. But it's absolutely stunning. What makes a great golf hole? in your opinion. Oh, and it's, and it's, it's simplest so, level. <laughs> memorable is a, obviously a big, I think like it depends on how, if you, if it's a one-time thing, scenery matters a lot to a lot of people. Um, I always, one of the things I always love is when holes trick me. Yeah, so the okay. first time around, if I play the wrong, if I play to where I think I should play, and I get there and it's really a bad spot. I love that. I, I love that. And a lot of these holes, like you see that with like classic boundary holes. Like if you were going to say the fourth at Woking, right, is a classic example of this. So you have the, the railroad um, and you got the centerline bunker. And everybody thinks it's, it's crazy. Like you look at the railroad, first time you get there, I've never been there, but I've, I've read, I've looked at this hole a million times. And it is so, it's such an easy principle of golf course architecture, right? You look at the boundary and you think, I don't want to mess with that. I'm playing away from the boundary. I'm playing over to the left, but it it just delays your penalty, right? You got to take it on. It all of a sudden becomes a part of your next shot. And also you're hitting from a disadvantaged angle. So, you know, people say, oh, you're crazy for taking that on. But then like a lot of times what you'll do is you'll play to that safe spot and then you get there and you're like, oh, I should not have played over here. I'm not going to. And a lot yeah. of times with these short par fours, which I think is really interesting and short par threes for that matter, is that you need to take it on or else you're not going to walk away with the three you feel like you you should make. Like the holes like par five, short par fives where you feel like you should make a four short par fours. You feel like you should make a three and then short par threes you hate when you walk away with a four Um, and great short par threes are usually like you hit the shot or else you're going to have a really hard two putt or really hard up and down. Um, And I think that's the thing that like half par holes allow architects to have a little bit more 
of a a treacherous surround into in a little they can go a little bit more extreme which is one of the reasons for this list um you can get a little bit more extreme when it's a half par hole sliding in the it's close it's close to a par three but we're making a par four it allowed you know architects talk about this all the time with short courses it's interesting that the shortest hole on your on your scorecard is a par three, the the the, the seventh at Pebble Beach. And I it's felt cliche just putting it in there. Well, but it is good though, isn't it? And it, it's it's interesting that you talk about short par threes and you hate getting fours. That's somewhere that you can really trip up, isn't it? Because it's fairly exposed. It should be nothing more than a sand wedge, but there's danger pretty much everywhere. And it's quite easy to knock up a score there, isn't it? Well, yeah, and the green's tiny. I mean, yeah. and I mean that hole could be. I, I think they need to do some expansion of the green. But I mean, the setting of it is absolutely unbelievable. Anybody that hates on it, it's like if you go play, like you play that Set stretch of golf. Yeah, you play that stretch of six through or through ten, and it's like God, that was unbelievable. That was like mind melting. Um, and, and you can obviously, I, I'm I'm a dreamer. I always think about what it could be. But you know how it's so easy to hit a, a wedge long left. Yeah, it's so yeah. easy to hit a wedge short right. Those aren't good spots. You got the Pacific Ocean. It's usually windy. It's just not a very easy shot to hit. And it's a tiny target. It's super downhill. You're just like kind of like you got to hit a really great shot. And what I like about, I like holes that have high variance too. Like I really like holes that you can make. There's a, a wide range of outcomes based off of the way you play it. Uh, you know, a lot of times, like it, what I think makes, that's what makes Augusta and the closing stretch. So thrilling is that mm. all those holes are really attainable. You can make a birdie, you can make an Eagle at some of them, but like 15, for example, has, you know, we have so many dramatic it's moments at 15. Scorecards, yeah. Isn't it? You yeah. had guys that were the you know, near the lead. Yeah, like Cabrera, Sergio. But Sergio also hit that incredible shot when he made Eagle on Sunday right. to win. That you was know, but the then year before, wasn't it? Yeah. Then the next year he made what a 13 on <laughs> yeah. it. So well, wasn't I think it, like, wasn't it Molinari when when Tiger won a few years back, Molinari was kind of in the fight for it and just was left and started chipping it into the trees and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, on 15. Yeah, you can it's had some pretty huge things on it. But it underlines, I think, like exact exactly what's great about it is like like you say, when it's not long, I I, I don't particularly enjoy playing long golf courses, which is why I really like the scorecard that you've put together. But great golf holes generally are ones where you could come off with a score variance of anything between a birdie and a treble. You're like dead easy. Like there should be a, a legit four shot variance in what you could walk away with. That's exciting. When you feel like, well, maybe I hit the green. If I don't, I make bogey. It's like, okay, great. Well, it's not much excitement at that point in time. So, you know, and I think that stretch at Augusta for the professional game, at least it really puts it under a spotlight. It makes it super exciting to watch. So. Yeah, and I, I think this is where a lot of golf courses get in the way. They say, "Oh, this golf hole's too easy." Like you should have a hole. You should have should holes. Be gettable. Should where, be gettable. Yeah, great shots are rewarded, but you also yeah. you want to tempt people to hit a shot that they shouldn't hit. Whether if they're they're just off the fairway and they're two thirty, if you put a tree in their way, they're just going to chip out to a wedge, and you're going to just get more pars. Mm, You're, okay. more pars and more bogeys and birdie what you want is you want people hitting it up by the green and getting themselves in an even worse spot 
and walking away with a double because they got too aggressive. You know, I think that holes that allow golfers to, to get aggressive are, are oftentimes the most compelling holes because they yield, you know, especially if they're, if they're the, the features around the green present, you know, challenges and, and subtle challenges that work against the gr- aggression. You know, I think that's where architecture and setups of tournaments need to allow uh, golf courses to get is that they need to provide the way that you provide defense to, to the best players in the world is using their aggression or sometimes how conservative they are against them. And I think that's what Tom Doak's done so well at Memorial Park down in Houston is you see these guys playing to these bailout areas that Tom knew they're bailing out to, and he kills them with contour. It's just impossible to get up and down, you know, and it's yeah. short grass. They could putt, you know, and the lay person can putt, but these pros like are trying, they have the perfect lie. This is what Mike Clayton always says, which I think <laughs> sums it up so well, a perfect lie, but an impossible shot is way more fun to watch. You know, the best players in the world attempt than a impossible lie in a mundane shot. Yeah, and I think that yeah. speaks to mowing it close, doesn't it, in general? Like, I think so many golf courses would be better for, you know, maybe sacrificing some of the maintenance budget on, you know, quicker green speeds, maybe cut them once once a week less, but actually have more slick runoffs, you know, mow it closer, create more contouring around the, the greens. You know, <laughs> hacking out a rough from green side is just never any fun. And like you say, it's, it's a nice leveler when you've got it. So um, is there room for innovation, do you think? Do you think there's much more room for innovation? You've talked about... Sweetens Cove, for instance, is your 18th, um, which I guess as a concept is probably one of the most innovative things we've seen in, in golf course design for some time, right? Or certainly that's the, that's the steer I get. Is there a lot of room for more innovation, do you think? Uh, yeah, I do. I think so. I, I think Tom, what Tom's doing at Sedge Valley is, is super, it's more in line with, with this type of routing, you know, just finding the best green sites, not worried about par or distance. Um, I think that's where, especially for the, for public golf, that's where it's got to go. Uh, Sweetens, I think is, this is super interesting. The thing that is amazing about Sweetens Cove is how a nine hole course in the middle of nowhere has become a destination. You know, it's always been thought that the destination needs to be 36 holes and, and have lodging. Yeah. Sweden's Cove has none of that and it's worked out. And, and I think that's, that's the thing that I blows my mind the most about Sweden's Cove. Um, it's an audacious design in terms of the contours are big, you know, they're extreme and it's an example of, of what, you know, it, that's the right side. I think critics can always say it will, you know, golf critics, golf course critics say, oh, gr- that green's too extreme. I'd 10 times out of 10 take an architect that leans on the line a little over the edge in extreme than the, the architect that never sees the line, yeah, you know? Always. And, and I think like overcooked greens are better than bland greens. Hmm. And, you know, I think, but the one thing I will say is that what you see with a really great architects that have been around for a long time that are really great at their craft, whether they're old, you know, golden age architects or bill or Tom or Gil 
is that they have the confidence to build really great subtle greens. And I think that's something that young architects struggle with. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're, you're obviously heading to St. Andrews in the, in the summer. And the castle course, which is TMK's um, effort, very you know, very similar in terms of what what it's seeking to achieve as King's Barnes, that just gets absolutely slammed, particularly by Tom Doak in terms of the severity of the greens. It's exciting, like it splits opinion. We were talking about this the other day. We have this stuff called Marmite in the UK. I don't even know if you have it, but it's it's like a stuff you put on toasted bread. And you either love it or you hate it. So these like Marmite golf courses that, you know, some people really enjoy because it's like beautiful scenery and it's really wacky and the greens are crazy. And other people who are like, oh, it's too far. I'm not really sure where I stand on it, but I can kind of see that. I think you can see that people want to put some trickery in. We we spoke to Martin Niebuhr on the podcast. He said the same. He was like, I look at what I did when I was really young and it was like, crikey, that was a little bit, little bit extra, a bit too much yeah. maybe. And I think... And you can um, always dial back greens. I think if, if yeah. you have gone too far, um, you can always dial them back a little bit, but it's hard once they're in to make them a bit more interesting, I think. You know, yeah. there's certainly cases of that where they've been dialed back here recently. If, so if, you, if you want to consider golf architecture an art, you know, not everything should be met with universal praise. Art is provocative. It, it creates opinions. And I think the best architecture creates opinion. Like, I don't think that every golf course should be universally praised. If every golf course is universally praised, it probably is a little mundane. Even Pine Valley, Cypress Point. I mean, Cypress is so good. I, I, just, <laughs> I, uh, I, I could get, I think like the setting, you know, if you took, I hate doing this. I, I actually like loathe when people say this, but when you take away the setting, the architecture is still really good at, at Cypress. I don't think you can say that for all oceanfront courses. Um, I think, but I think it should, you know, golf courses, really good golf design should make you feel something you should get frustrated. There's things that should frustrate you. You know, um, the really good artists though, also aren't sloppy. You know, there's, there's sloppy aspects of, of, of bad architecture with, with tie-ins and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I think from, from the sense of like, you know, when you think about golf courses and golf architecture holes that provoke some sort of emotion from you, are ones that are worthy of a second look. Well, I think I'm with you in, in terms of, you know, like the frustration should be self-imposed. Like all the good, all the good ar golf architecture that's, that's here in the UK, you know, it, none of it revolves around being able to shoot a good score. It gives you options off the tee. You can make a bogey and they give you a bogey line. That's fine. You can make your bogey and every player of every handicap has got the ability to improve their round if they hit the ball well. Whereas you go to some places and the courses are designed for the better ball strikers or whatever. And you're looking at, you know, I've played, played places where it's like 240 yards to make the fairway, you know, case in point, we, we played one off one of the back tees, I think 11th of King Barnes. And it's like, a, it's like 240 yards of the fairway. And you're like, I can't play this. That's not where it was designed that I was yeah. supposed to play it from. You give me so hard time, but, but you can shift it, yeah. but not into, not into a howling breeze there. Yeah. But, and it's like, you know, yeah. that you should be able to score every golf of all abilities and, and all the mistakes, all the frustration you get should be 
self-imposed. It should be attainable. That's, that's an important thing. Like this, the challenge should be attainable, you know, a hole that's unattainable that you feel like you cannot conquer. That's probably not a good golf hole. If you feel like, Oh, I, no matter what I do, I can't have success. That's where, you know, it lies. But if it's attainable, if it's challenging, you know, so be it. But like, if you feel like you can attain it and if you get to a certain position, your odds of attaining it are much greater than, you know, I, I, I just think people look too much of, they follow their ball and allow the ball where their ball ends up to dictate too much of yeah. how they think of a golf course. But I think there's a lot like, of obsession on score. Yeah. I, well, I think about this all the time, especially this week is like, how much different would golf design be if, if match play was still the dominant form of the mm. game? Yeah, hundred percent. Sure. To- totally agree. And and also, I think you know, to an extent, people just fundamentally play from the wrong tee tee boxes, like repeatedly. Like I think it's, I think match play as a dying art is a shame. So many people want to hit their own ball. We play a huge amount of foursomes golf over in the UK, which is great. And actually, I can still appreciate a golf course that I'm playing for the first time simply by playing foursomes golf. And I don't feel like I'm missing out that much. Um, and th- I think the other thing I'd say is we've, you know, spending time in Scotland recently, I th- can't remember who was saying this to us, Tom, but you know, the days where back in the 1980s and the 1990s, people used to look in golf magazines and they'd go and play Muirfield and Carnoustie and they'd shoot 140 and they'd come off the course and go, that was great fun. I really enjoyed that. I oh, kind of yeah. think those days are changing actually. And I think everything's getting softened down a bit because you're seeing the, the Castle Stewarts, the Kings Barns come along, which are making these more playable, wider kind of second shot golf courses. So, yeah. I mean, we're talking there a little bit about Scotland. Where, where's on your itinerary because you know you've got your first trip coming up to the uk in the summer hopefully what's what's so, on the list yeah so we're going to be we're going over the weeks of the scottish and the open so it, it's going to be centered around with those you know i'm going to have to do a little bit of of, of tournament coverage mixed with going to see places so you know uh north barrack area and then uh and then uh saint andrews obviously uh so around there and you know i've been on google earth quite a bit and uh there's quite a bit of golf i i like can't believe how much golf there is like I tell you what, it's just, I was like, just truly like, unbelievable i was listening to you talk um about being four hours from the nearest city and i remember you saying it i was like you can drive we can pretty much get to, we live in like the middle of England and just, just outside Birmingham and we can get nearly get to St. Andrews in four hours in that and time you George's. pass about and Royal St. George's in the other direction. And in that time you can, you pass thousands of good golf courses and you're going to be in Renaissance of the Scottish East Lothian. I mean, is absolutely absurd. It's just golf course, one mile golf course, another mile. And they're all worldy. <laughs> like, <laughs> absolutely brilliant on that i know i it, like i want to play all of them you know you you like you're just scrolling through and you're like i could like walk to the next course and play yeah. there and, and the days are so long too that's the incredible thing we got to set up the itinerary i i still haven't booked flights i'm like the i'm the most the worst procrastinator in the world um so i have to i have to plan everything out and and that's like pulling teeth but um but yeah, any recommendations are, uh, are, are, you know, happy to take them. And then I, I hope like my favorite thing to do is to just go to places like just no plan, just show up at, at certain places that at the end of the days, you know, and, and get a, have a walk around. 
We've definitely found the right place. And of course, once you get out of East Lothian, you're in Fife, which is probably the second most populous place in the world for golf courses. So there's loads you can do up there. And of I course, mean, it feels like, I mean, when we go cover, when the US Open was at Aaron Hills, for example, we had an hour drive every day from the the where the media hotel was to to Aaron Hills. That's unacceptable in the UK. That's just unacceptable. Is, uh, well, I was a, looking at it and I'm like, well, even if I if I stayed in East Lothian the entire two weeks, I'm still, still I'm like only Andrews. 40 40 minutes from St <laughs> yeah. Andrews. You like won't it's, do it in 40 it's, minutes, you'll need more, but yeah, it's 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 about 1 hour. It's insane cuz like it, yeah. it, it, it this is like the thing like when I lived in the city of Chicago to play public, good public golf, it was on the weekend, always a minimum of an hour out, hour in, you know, this is like, just like what I'm used to driving to go play golf as being in, in the U S this sounds like one of those stories you tell your wife. It's like, no, oh, it's an hour there. And then I've got to be five hours of the golf course. I'm serious. I'll be back in, I'll be back in eight hours. hours. If you go early in the morning, you would get, you'd get down there in 40 minutes, but then you get all the traffic coming back into the city for people going to sightsee on, on summer days in, in Chicago and you get effectively, it's an hour 15 back in. It's crazy. It, it, until you live here, you just don't understand the pain of, of being a city dweller in America and wanting to play golf. Oh, well, you're going to have a great trip when you come over to Scotland yeah. and, and UK. I'm sure the DMS are lighting up as we speak uh, with invites, but you're just going to absolutely love it. It's, it's absolutely insane. <laughs> The, uh, so we, we haven't gone through any of the holes. We, oh, we don't really do that. <laughs> okay, good. Well, did I, you want to go sure. through them? No, I tell you what, what we always do on these, on these episodes, because the thing is, it's boring, right? If you say, yeah, well, this is. one's Nobody's a par four, 298 yards. And and what and the whole thing is people should then click on your website where you've got your article talking I about wrote, that. Yeah, I wrote it. I wrote talk, about we'll it because I was doing this. And, exactly so yeah, we, it's we, not about going that's a par four how was that and i i mean there's loads of things i want to talk to you about but the thing is you just end up getting the the golf courses and the the idea of the eclectic 18 is it's more of a jumping off point around you and golf it's not about every every hole in its constituent part like there's stuff in here we've not touched like pinehurst i'm interested the whole reversible <laughs> thing at the loop like that's that's insane like i'm really interested to know about that there's loads that hole is Aiken, super cool by the Aiken, way Aiken, by the way i've played Aiken. we played it on an american trip we played some amazing Good for you courses to go we to Aiken. Well, we did. We played. We're very lucky. We played Peachtree, uh, Atlanta Athletic, and then went down to Palmetto, which is just, as you know, absolutely incredible place. How is um, that? How is Aiken the town with golf compared to like England? Because I hear that uh, com com that comparison thrown around a lot, and I yeah. think like the Aiken Golf Club as a public course has got a real distinct, different feel than most public courses in America. Okay, so I didn't know that. I'd say that. The town feel of Aiken around golf. Aiken's just got a lovely sleepy town vibe, hasn't it? I yeah. would say it's much sleepier than any town you go to. What I would say is everybody in England is really angry all the time, whereas <laughs> no one in Aiken seemed that angry. And that was quite nice. So people seem quite happy. Everyone seems like they're walking along the pavement in slow motion because no one's in a rush to go anywhere. Whereas everyone's like swearing at everyone over here. So in terms of the town, totally different golf, golfy wise. Palmetto's got that kind of old school Southern vibe, hasn't it? Which is, I think there's a, maybe a little bit of similarity there with some of the British private clubs, perhaps. Um, but Aiken was cool, but we was, 
we were stuck behind massive slow play. Like you're talking uh. about public golf and pace of play. We had a flight in a, out of Atlanta, I think at about 5 PM. That's we an awful off, drive we too. Te- yeah. We we're teeing off at like <laughs> half nine and we got through 11 holes and I was like, these are banging golf holes. And then we never got to 14, which is on your scorecard. But it's yeah. a great golf course. Amazing. Uh, that's, a, that's a perfect boundary line hole. That's, that's my, uh, really? that's my boundary line hole. Yeah. You, you think you should just fan it out, right? You're afraid to take on the green, which is pressed right up out, out of bounds. And, and then you get over, right. And you're like, Oh, this can be really hard to make a three and it's 255 yards. It's par four. So you, you think you should make a three there. You think you should just bully it, bully it. It's but actually optimal. Aiken, what I, Aiken, I just love that place. I, uh, it's right in the downtown. You could walk from downtown to the course and then it's, uh, it doesn't have an out and back routing, which is uh, rare, like a, a, it, with it returning nines. It's an out and back. My bad for mis, uh, misstating that, but it's an out and back. So you you go out and you come back. Mm-hmm. And if you play it early, it, you know, a lot of guys uh, on Saturday mornings, it's like a three hour spin for most yeah if you get a regular and you play quick i mean slow golf is oh. really sound this podcast it's a blight on the game it it's one of the biggest barriers to playing is time it's probably the biggest to be honest with well you. that's why there needs not to be more five thousand yard courses they take less yeah, time to play and people that play quickly as well so to answer your question we don't go through the holes individually but what i do want you to do to to, to end the podcast andy is to talk through your scorecard just so we've got it on the record holes one All to right. 18 first and interject hole. with any stories if you need them First hole, Eagle Springs. It's a uh, par four, 298. Second hole, Old McDonald. It's a par three, 181. It's a it's an Eden Green. So like the 11th at St. Andrews. I think it's the best American Eden Green that I've seen. It's it's really cool. Uh, dead flat land. Uh, Pinehurst number two is the third hole. It's just a hole that embodies kind of Pinehurst number two. It's a... Uh, you just, the more you play it, the more scared of the second shot you are. The green's crazy. It's right outside Donald Ross's uh, home there at Pinehurst. And you're just, you're just sweating hitting that second shot. And, it, it, you know, if you don't hit perfect distance control, spin control, you're dead. Uh, the loop, the fourth hole on the black course is my fourth hole. I love it because it's got like this half pipe front of the green and they put the pin there. You have to drive it right up the center or else you're, you're screwed. You, you got like a really hard shot. You're like coming in from the end of the high, half pipe from the side right above it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's super easy if you're in the right spot. Cause it's like you have bumpers on in your bowling, but <laughs> you know, if, if you're on the sides, it's, you can, it's brutal. It's, it's, I think Brian Schneider built that green. I, I really like that green. Um, and then, uh, then we got gray walls, the fifth hole there, which is just wild. It's the wild setting. Granite, granite uh, rock outcrops. Exposed Gargant- rock and everything. Yeah. Gargantuan. I'm talking like 50 feet tall, granite rock outcroppings. Like you're playing over it into the fairway. And then the green is tucked right against a giant one. Uh, just, such a cool place it's like it's you don't feel like you're playing golf there you play, feel like you're going on an adventure um and you're trying to conquer this like crazy terrain uh six of pack dunes spectacular short par four that has similar strategy to tenant riviera except it's like kind of flipped so you want to play right um 
Seven Pebble Beach, we talked about eight at Banded Trails. Banded Trails is a spiritual place. And the eighth hole, you get up to the top of the top of the hill that you climb up. Uh, and, and it's this hole that just sits right on the ridge. It's, it's a really cool short part four. Nine at Wild Horse, really great place. What I like about that hole is deception from the T left looks dead because there's this big blowout bunker on the left and right is filled with short grass. And, and you think, oh, I should just favor right. But the, there's this vicious side, like runoff that takes anything on the right third of the green and just it sends it tumbling way away Into from the, the green. Best. And then the left side, you get up there. And the, and this is why I'm talking about the holes that trick you. You get up there and there's like a ton of green over that left bunker that you're scared of. It's It's brilliant, you know, and you're just like, God, I. I wish I would have known. And you end up over on the right and you got it really hard up and down. Uh, 10 at Lostonia. We talked about 11 at Belvedere. So Will, William Watson course. This is a private club that uh, every day is open to the public uh, in Northern Michigan. It's just a really cool hole. The green, there's some cool drainage stuff going on that I actually wrote an article about the other day uh, that'll be up on the site soon. It's a really cool green. Rustic Canyon's 12th hole, a Short, short par four again, hazard that makes you play away from it and you play right. And then you're left with a really delicate little chip, uh, Gil Hansen, Jim Wagner, and Jeff Shackelford course, uh, in Southern California, Pacific Grove's 13th, which we talked about, uh, Aiken's 14th, which we just talked about the 15th at diamond Springs. This is Mike DeVries course in Michigan, Grand Rapids area. This hole is like jaw dropping. You playing over like a Canyon. A lot of people have seen pictures of the seventh hole at Cal club. And this is like, it, it's just like this. It was built before that. One of the things I love about it is it's really scary to hit any shot there. If you go for the green or if you lay up, because you can't really see the layup area, it's blind. And then you get over on the left and you're like, there's all this space over there. But one of the neat things, if you bail left, you have a blind second shot into short par four, which I really like. Yeah, nice. Um, nice. Three-tiered green. Positiempo 16th. Don't really need to talk about this. One of the most famous holes in America. Um, closest thing probably to the Sitwell green that Mackenzie designed in America. And then uh, George Wright 17. That's uh, 17th hole at George Wright. It's it's a cool par three. I, it kind of embodies the setting of the course. It's got like in New England. It's got this giant rock outcropping just off the tee and the green sits back right up against this forest. It's just a beautiful hole. And then the 18th at Sweden's Cove. I love par three finishers, yeah. especially if you're back in a match. to back par three finishers. Tell me about it. Jesus. Well, you got it. I don't understand the, the hate against the par three is the last hole because if you're playing a match, it's the ultimate, like, especially ones with like severity, like 18 to pass tempo. I thought about putting in here too mm-hmm. is like, it's the most pressure because you have this iron shot that you know you have to hit well. And both of those holes, if you hit a good shot, two is really easy to make. But if you don't hit a good shot on both of those holes, you could find yourself in a very, very difficult shot to place to make par. And I think it's like the ultimate pressure moment for the end of a match. You just have to execute a shot. Yeah, I, like, yeah. I, I, I can, this I is a match course. Match play finishes are absolutely 100% key. I don't know. Back-to-back par threes, jury's out on that. I don't know any good architects that have ever used back-to-back par threes. 
Tom Duke did it. At, at he's betting, he's I knew he would. I knew he would. I knew he would. I'm just kidding. I'm There's just all kidding. kinds of places. I know. Exactly yeah, I know. You're just pulling, pulling my chain pulling here. Chain. It worked. You, you went prep. Uh, that is your eclectic 18, Andy. It's yeah. been it's been a blast. Thank you. Thank for you doing guys it. for having me on. This is no. uh, this was a great joy. We're so out of our depth doing this because I mean my my CV of golf courses in America is pretty slim. Like I've not played many, so well, it's so hard. Like, and they all look, they all sound the same. So when you send them through, it's all, it's all Pacific Springs I'm and Eagle specific. Grove and they all yeah. sound the same. And there's about a million and they're all named the same. So I sent you your first scorecard back and you were like, yeah, this is the wrong Eagle Springs, Sam. It's like, it's not, it's not 390 yards. This golf hole. Very important. <laughs> it, right, Eagle so. Springs golf resort. Eagle Springs golf resort. We should probably we should probably do a bit of work to tag these properly in the scorecard when it goes up. Uh, but no, that was cool. That's been a blast. Yeah, thank you. I was thinking about it when I was making this. I'm like, these guys have probably seen none of the courses I've seen. I've se- I haven't seen any of the courses they've seen. So exactly, we're all in the We're same both smoking, speaking foreign now. languages. The difference yeah. is you're not having to quiz us on the British courses, so you're in a position yeah. of comfort at least. Hey, did you guys see that old aerial that uh, got posted on Twitter of Huttercombe from 46? Uh, I've seen. Gor- I have Gors- seen plenty of old fo- old photos. Yeah. Gorsnad posted it. I I stared at that for like an hour last night. It, it's, it's a cool so golf cool. course. It's the fourth green, isn't it? Fourth or the fifth green with the. You got to look at that old aerial. That, really? It looks like there is cool shit everywhere. There's some quite cool uh, aerials recently come out of uh, a Birkdale, which are quite interesting to look at. Certainly, like in terms of the sanitization of Birkdale, because you've got like, I think it's the 14th par three, just looked like you stood on, I mean, if you stood on the tee there, just like nothing but bunkers is all you can see. But now it's kind of just littered around, just a, just a couple of them. But yeah, It a seems like that's what's happened now. to a lot of UK courses is a, a little bit of a sanitation. And that's why yeah. you guys might be ripe for a, a real restoration boom. Yeah, well, yeah I, I think, think we're in the happening. midst of it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, our course that we play at Blackwell is... Uh, it's a, about a 6,000 yard golf course. It's a Fowler and Simpson. I genuinely, I think you could take the best architects of today. It's a hundred acres and it's a really good 18 hole golf course. Like mm. it's one of the best in England, but the routing is just next level. But we've done a massive restoration program with Frank Pond, who works uh-huh. with Clates and Doris. Um, and Frank's like just brought new life into the golf course. It's just like widening up the playing corridors. You've got, you know, all of a sudden you've got choices off the tee. It's like, do I want to hit an iron here or do I want a good gun driver down there? You know, it's like, it's fun again. Whereas before it was like, Frank always uses this term about like a, like a dusty old Rembrandt in the, in the attic. And when you take it down and you actually polish it up and you get it nice, you realize it's a masterpiece, but it just needs a lot of work. And there's so many courses like that. The Addington yeah. gets plenty of mention. Um, we did a, an eclectic 18 podcast recently with James Day, and we talk about the Addington in that. But when he's finished with that in the UK, that will make a lot of golf courses look almost obsolete overnight because it's just so radical what they're doing. Um, so yeah, it's cool. There's loads of great stuff over here. A few weeks in the summer, so I'm going to cut it, but I'm sure you'll be back very soon. Yeah, there's. I mean, I, as I start to look at it, it's like I, I need to spend like a summer just to do you know, Scotland and it probably wouldn't hit everything. It's like, no. there's going to be no. a lot of trips, lots of trips. The UK in England, I, I really want to see a lot of courses in England. This, I, I look at some of those massively pictures. Underrated just, compared to Scotland, hugely underrated. Uh, like, I, I'm actually really like almost more intrigued by England than Scotland. 
I think the Heathlands are, are genuinely, and there's a lot of masterpieces there to play. But there's some just really cool old school golf clubs as well to see. You'd love it. But we'll. It's interesting. We had Zach Blair on here a few, um, a few months back, and he came over and he was doing um, some of the Heathlands because he wanted to kind of assess with the tree farm you know did he want to try and make it a bit heathlandy and he said you know these heathland courses you talk about um you know west hill woking st george's hill sunningdale he's like yeah they're they're amazing but i'm not putting heather anywhere near my golf course (laughs) it's so hard it's beautiful but it's so hard to play out of if you're in there it's just disastrous yeah i mean it's uh this the whole native grass and heather and everything is it's a whole nother topic lengthy topic how do you close your podcast you, you don't allow intros you basically you took away my intro from me so do you would you like to yeah. um would you like how to finish you, it can you, can you close the podcast down please Andy? You, know, you know tom tom doke <laughs> the first time i recorded a batch of podcasts with him i was like oh <laughs> that's it i'm done and he and he's it was such a backhanded remark it was so great i mean he goes yeah you know the real pros know how to open and close it really well (laughs) (laughs) still haven't figured out how to close one out so uh well i'm gonna have to give it some sort of bash yeah all right cheers andy see ya (laughs) (laughs) that's been a pleasure yeah thanks guys that was fun watch this 